Support for Recovery Talks, the podcast, and rockandrecovery.com provided by Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties. Recognizing that looking for a job can be tough, especially if you're also navigating a path to recovery. Ohio Means Jobs, Summit in Medina Counties offer career coaching, support services, and training for in-demand careers. For more information, summitmedinaomj.org. Direct from Akron, Ohio, the epicenter of modern recovery. This is Recovery Talks, the podcast. From those in recovery to those working in recovery, meet those who are shining the light on Recovery Talks right now. Welcome everybody to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. And today I'm super honored by having two guests with me who are going to share a story that um, you're going to want to hear. And hopefully by sharing this story, we can shine a light on the cause that they hope to support. And that is the accidental uh, passing of their son, Christopher. So I'm going to welcome Brighead and Ed Hilmuth, right? Yep. So, did I Thank say you. it right? It's Brighead. Okay, good. Brighead. I got to do the head nod when I say it. Great. <laughs> You know, we've we've been talking in the studio and, and just getting warm up because this is a difficult experience for somebody who is not used to this. Okay, I'm a ham. I'm used to being in a microphone. I'm used to being on camera. But it is difficult to just come here and do this and to come and speak about what you're going to speak about takes tremendous courage. And I just want to thank you on behalf of me, the station, and our listeners and our viewers because we are doing some video here. The, from the beginning, what we want to talk about is is we want to talk about fentanyl. And we want to talk about what's going on in the community with fentanyl or other illicit opioids. And just from, um, you know, just from some of the research that I've done, um, just talking from SAMHSA, one of the main culprits behind the growing opioid epidemic are synthetic opioids like fentanyl. And the death rate from these drugs has increased over 1,125% since 2011. It's just crazy. In our own little community, um, according to the Akron Beacon Journal, the Akron Police Department, there were 60 deadly overdoses in the city in January through April, compared to 25 at the same time. So it's an increasingly difficult problem that we're all trying to face. And it's because, you know, people don't know or unknowingly they're taking these drugs and they think maybe it's safe to uh, to smoke marijuana. They think maybe it's safe to take what they think is something that was given to them by a friend, and it turns out it's not safe. Let's talk a little bit about about your son, Christopher, if you could. Tell me about him a little bit. Christopher is, you know, a great guy, and he was kind of claim to fame was how smart he was, and that was in grade school, high school, even college. He started talking at what age? He was about a year old and could talk, and wow. he never stopped. Wow. So, um, yeah, I got to interject and say that um, one of the things that caught me in the synergy of, of meeting today and doing this is Christopher went to the same grade school and the same high school I went to, right? Yeah. So I, I know what those traditions are. And when you speak about him, I'm seeing the landscape of St. Sebastian's School and Forest Lodge Park and all those things mm-hmm. that were all around there, mm-hmm. right? What was it like for him when he, when he started? Love school. Was a great friend, had a lot of friends. He was very involved with actually all three schools. He was at uh, St. Sebastian, St. Vincent, St. Mary, and then Ohio State, and um, was a very active participant in school life. 
He we, played football for the Fighting Irish. He played football. Which he wrestled. is a distinction that is, you know, I mean, the, the guys I've seen that I played, and I, I played a little bit of sports at St. V. Unfortunately, I got hurt. But, I mean, that's a badge of honor to have that varsity letter from St. V. He did. Yeah. Um, Plus, he played against Joe Burroughs. There you go. When he in one of the state playoffs. Wow. So same wow. be lost, but you can say he played against the Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner. Right. Right. So you know, it's funny when you know talking about that school, the sense of tradition here, and I know you're active in the community that, that supports those schools with your with your work that you're doing, but I, I just know that that there's a sense of tradition that is around there, and there's a family, right? right. And I think that's part of what you're here to support too. And we're going to talk about okay. that a little later. Tell me a little bit more about Christopher. You know, he was a great friend. That We heard that over and over, and we knew he had a lot of friends. Um, he loved to talk, loved to argue. His favorites were history, politics, sports. Music. Uh, he loved music. Mm. Um, listened. We had it going in our house from morning till night when he was around. Right, and right. Did you like his music? We did, mostly. Really? I know, right? And, uh, mostly, I know, right? yes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and we, like, we're yeah. learning, we, learned some, we learned to like some music that I probably wouldn't have chosen. So. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> By being exposed to it. Right. Um, and Christopher was a lot of fun and liked to have a good time. So he had just finished, he, during COVID, had moved back home with us in uh, spring of 2020 and has, was finishing up his classes for mm -hmm. Ohio State and... Finished his classes in August, getting ready to, he was actually going to be leaving for the military for a linguistics program that he had been accepted into. Fantastic, uh, yeah. So he had just, um, he finished he, his degree in business and minor in history at Ohio State. So he was, he was doing really well and finished his classes. It was also the week of his 24th birthday and Decided to go visit a friend who was working down in D.C., and they were doing the normal hanging out, going places, having drinks. And um, that Saturday night decided they were going to take Oxy, and they it was not an intention to take fentanyl. It was, you know, I think taking something and, can, you know, to go out and party or whatever. And um, sadly, Christopher... He went into a coma, um, and he survived for two weeks. We were, he was at John Hopkins, and so he actually passed on September 4th. Christopher's friends, his family, everybody that loved him out there lost a bright light and a super just great giving person and we want young people and also parents to be aware of what's out there um right. these pills aren't what they appear and um it, it can end very quickly and let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about growing up because all of us who have kids right at some point we realize we probably should talk about this you know i right. mean obviously for me my story was my kids got to experience it with their dad and you know i've had some pretty un uncomfortable discussions with them since that happened. But I think all of us at some point decide that there are certain things we need to talk to our kids about. You know, the obvious things, how to behave when you're in public, what kind of friends you want to make are probably going to determine the trajectory of a lot of things in your life. Right. You know, and, and, and the drug discussion, um, for those of us that grow up, I think in a certain era, 
you know, it may be a little bit different discussion. You know, I talked to my kids and said, look, you know, there's a difference between use and abuse, right? And, you know, we, we talked at great length about, you know, okay, well, abuse is when you tell yourself you can't, you're not going to do it, and you can't not do it. But it sounds to me from everything we spoke about that this wasn't an issue with Chris at all. It was not. Right. So he was just a normal kid, right? Right. Let's go out and do things that people do that we're seeing other people do demographically is probably a lot different than when we grew up, right? Right. The choices are so much different now, which is a big part of what we're talking about today. You know, and, and I told you, you know, before we started that if this was available, if this type of opportunity to use these types of drugs today, I'm not sure that I would have made it through to be standing here with you guys today. I'm not sure. Probably not. But tell me what those conversations were like for you and maybe other parents can get a sense of how they're doing it because that's really what we want, isn't it? We want to spread the word about what you're doing, what you did. I think we were very similar to most parents in being safe and don't drink and drive and don't take drugs, don't take other people's pills and drugs. And, And I will say prior to this, I thought we had open conversations prior to this. I thought we had a good understanding since Christopher's passing, I have had a lot of conversations with, you know, his friends from here, from Ohio State. I've had conversations with other young people I come in contact with, and there is a lot more um, substance use out there than I was ever aware of, mm. especially when it comes to pills. Looking back, I would like to say that the conversation really should be around, you know, first choices. Don't take pills that belong to somebody else. If you're going to use test strips, test for this, the percentage is so high that the drugs that are out there are being manufactured. None of these kids are taking pharmaceutical grade. As hard of a conversation as it might be for a parent, I think letting your kids know that what I found is a lot of young people don't even realize that this is the case. um, When we started talking about this interview today, you sent me a link to NPR, and one of the quotes from that NPR article is, teenagers don't seek out illicit opioids, but they do seek out prescription opioids, and that has always been one of their favorite drugs, Vicodin, Oxy, Hydrocodone, and they seek out benzos, right? And they often end up buying counterfeit versions of these, you know, fakes that look like the common you know, commonly used prescription medications, which have increasingly become contaminated with fentanyl. Uh, It's estimated that at least one-third, one-third of these illicitly manufactured pills are contaminated with fentanyl. Wow. In the past, this article goes on to say you would just get sedated. Now you can take one benzo and one pill, and it can kill you. And this is the reality that kids are dealing with today. I do get to see some of this in the treatment centers where the more experienced drug users, you know, are are very skilled in where they buy them from, but nobody's doing test strips. Nobody is. Initially, we were introduced to, you know, some other parents that have had similar experiences, and one of them um, that's looking to do education for high school and college students, and she's Um, you know, also pushing for test strips availability out there. 
Um, we, we've learned some additional information and learned that in the state of Ohio, test strips are illegal. Right now, they're looking at laws to decriminalize it, but um, it, can, it can save lives. Right. It's a pet peeve for me, but this article goes on and says, so many of our young people are so busy being taught to not use drugs that when they are actually exposed to them, or they're surrounded by it, they actually have very little information to go off of or keep themselves or their friends safe around the decisions they make and their surrounding drugs. And I think it's because, again, some of the programs that are going on, especially at the, the middle school and high school level, are all about don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But is there really a why and because, right? And if we could translate that why and because, maybe through... A peer program. I mean, I, I've often thought to me, and, I, and I, I will share this with you because we're talking about our, our former high school, that when I was a basketball player and I got messed up doing some stuff I shouldn't be doing, right? And in, this, in that time, it was probably go fast caffeine pills or whatever it was, you know. I remember going to a coach, a really well-known coach, and saying to him, I've got a problem. I think I need some help. And he took out a pad and wrote his phone number down and said, call me. That was the only tool he had. He didn't have anywhere to send me. He didn't have any referral programs. There was no peer-to-peer support that would have been available, right? And, and I just get a sense that if Christopher could have come through this, that he probably would have supported that. He probably would have Absolutely. said, look, this happened to me. You know, let me tell you what can happen to you. And that's the difficult part that we've the message we've got to get out is because there are kids that really need to get the message out. You know what? I think this is a good spot for us to take a little break. So we'll be right back after this. The internet can be challenging to navigate, especially when it comes to podcasts. It can be a cacophony of noise, choices, and information. Some of that information can be legitimate and trustworthy, and some of it can be questionable or even downright synthetic. Who or what can be trusted? And the sheer amount of platforms, where in the world do I go to listen and to absorb information? For the person in recovery, sometimes getting the right advice or help can be the difference between shivering in darkness and stepping out into the light. Recoverytalks.org is a repository, an easy-to-find place where past episodes of Recovery Talks, the podcast, can be found. All of Mark's in-depth conversations, all the way back to season one, can be found here. RecoveryTalks.org. Simple. Easy. Help. So we're trying to get the point across that when kids are doing these drugs, their <clears throat> intent is not to take fentanyl. Right. And they, the news uses the word they died of an overdose when actually they died of a poisoning. Right. And the, the word poisoning comes across stronger than an overdose. Because right. people think of overdose and they relate it to a drug right. person. And right. these kids right. are not drug right. Right. people. So, right. and, and, and it happens more frequently than you would know. And I think one of the things that I see a lot in the treatment centers is, hey, yeah, I got hurt really prominent high school, which I won't mention the name. I got hurt playing football last year and they gave me this. And next thing I know, in four months, I'm a heroin addict. How did that work? You know? And I think that one of the things we're starting to see in the community, which is unfortunate, but it is a positive backlash, is that people who would not normally see drug use the way they see it now because it's in their own backyard, the right. kid down the street, the kid next door. 
right? The good families and the good neighborhoods where you didn't see that. For sure, where they were drinking before. God knows what they were, we were all doing growing up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can remember some pretty crazy high school parties. But the reality was is it, it didn't seem to have the sense of danger, People, imminent people danger. weren't dying. Right. You know, the worst thing that would happen when I was growing up is, um, you know, the most terrible thing was, you know, an automobile accident. But more probably it was like somebody got pulled off a bleacher at a football game and got in trouble. Right. And, you know, and got suspended or got their parents or, you know, something terrible like that. Somebody found something in a locker. Right. right? And that's what it was. It wasn't to the same level. We have to make a difference by becoming more aware and doing the things you do. And I think with your courage, you're doing that. This must have been an incredibly difficult period for you. Tell me a little bit about what happened, if you don't mind, when it all when it all happened. Where were you guys the first couple miles after this happened? You know, we got a phone call. And, and honestly, I'll say even at that point, our daughter was called. And she reached out to us and said, you know, Christopher's at the hospital. He overdosed. So... One, I was taken back and not understanding, but also, as soon as I heard he's in the hospital, he overdosed, I immediately thought, oh, he's fine. So we got in a car to drive to D.C., and um, this is something we did not know that I think is another to share with young people and parents is Christopher had severe brain injury from being under. Um, Mm. This was not a... A go to sleep, and right. it, it was it was traumatic. Right. It was traumatic for him. It was traumatic for our family right. to go through that right. piece of it. And you know, since then, you know, we've lost we lost a big part of our family. And as I said, our friends have been affected. Christopher's friends have been affected. Um, our daughter and her friends have been affected. There's just it, the tentacles go out when something mm-hmm. like this happens. It doesn't just impact one person or one family unit it affects a lot of people and the young people that we're losing is just um it's unneeded it's preventable um but i think it's so important that there's just awareness and that's one of the things we want to support is we don't want to own a program i feel very strongly what you said about the peer i could go talk to a group of 17 year olds and they don't they're not going to care what i say yeah they're not going to see us I've done this interview with parents that have lost children three or four times. And um, it seems like there's a common thread that right away, there's a lot of support for you guys. It comes around you. And maybe at that point, you aren't really ready to get that support. You know, you were trying to say, what happened, right? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to, you know, it's great that people want to come around you, you know, your family, your church family, all your, your close friends. But sometimes that's, the last thing you really want you want to be able to be close with your unit and just say what are, what's happening here right and then some time passes and maybe you're ready for that support and the hard part is a lot of people just go on with their lives and that's the part that that i'm struck with when i see people in the community lose someone is that yeah there's a lot of support and then people kind of just go on with their lives and it's really what this incredible thing that's happened to us, this trauma that happened to us, it's really about how we survive is what we do with it, how we go on, how do you go on. So maybe you could talk about some things that you guys do that are go through, get you through things, you know, because it's, it's got to be difficult. I mean, I, every day I wake up 
with some of the consequences, you know, that I dealt with. I can only imagine what it's like for you guys. So what do you do? I will say we are very, very blessed and surrounded by great friends, both our friends, Christopher's friends. Um, we're, we're very fortunate in that regard. We wanted to remember Christopher, and I certainly um, was pretty adamant from the beginning that his worst decision wasn't going to define his life. Right. We did start a foundation, and you know we wanted to give back to students. He where he made his friends is from St. Sebastian's to St. V. We've, you know, we wanted to give back to teachers and have that, you know, helps them in their classroom to, for their students. Um, and then we had a fundraiser last year for that. And that, you know, gave us something to focus on. But as we move forward and have learned more and more about um, just what's out there and these pills and so forth is, we decided we really also would like to support organizations that are out providing awareness mm-hmm. um, in the community. So that's also what we've added to that and tried to go and meet with people and get in front of people and tried to focus our energy and efforts. Right. Um, just that other families don't have to experience what our family has gone through. What, what do you say? What do you say when you meet somebody that's gone through the same experience as you? I mean, that where do the words come from? How do you how do you just self describe? There is a connection, though, when you meet with people, and um, we've met you know a number of these families, and it's an opportunity to talk about our children outside of all of this, right? right and right. that's what's been most helpful, and you know, sadly, you know, I've now been introduced to other families somebody introduced us to you know a family and they introduced us to somebody else and now you know i've been introduced to you know some other families that have had similar circumstances and it it does mean a lot to have people that have gone through this to talk to and um help you know have somebody to walk this journey with Right. One of the concepts that I, I work with in the recovery community is the that peer support, that peer-to-peer support. Mm-hmm. That's more powerful than anything else, more powerful. When I first started into a 12-step program to help me with my – I mean, I remember somebody say to me, we're going to love you until you can figure out how to love yourself again. Because after we have trauma like this, it, the most difficult thing for us is to, to get back to a sense of self. Right, and how do we manage it? How do we go forward? So I, I would imagine that, that working with other families, and you know right away, don't you? You can see it. You can feel it around them. It's like mm-hmm. they have an aura around them that they get what you went through. And there's just there's no way to describe that to other people. Right. And, and that's where the, I think a lot of the comfort comes from. So tell me a little bit about the organizations that you're working with now because you know, I really want to highlight and talk about where people who are listening to this podcast or watching on on YouTube, where would they go to be able to reach out to find out some of the projects you're working on? We have a website out there. It's um, chrisvestakron.com. We're actually, um, we have an event coming up at the end of August. Yeah, August. let's talk about the event. Yeah, because that looks like really a lot of fun. It should be. Yeah. It will be. And, you know, a little background of last year, um, it was actually Christopher's friends and a number of the dads that kind of put this idea together for us. And 
really worked hard on helping us put it together last year. And we did it to honor Christopher. Christopher, Christopher loved to party. Um, he loved being around people. He loved music. So he liked to drink beer. So we did an event last year that we had breweries and bands and food trucks and, um, you know, wanted to raise money, but to be a celebration. And it honored him in, you know, our biggest thing was he would have loved, you know, he was there with us and he was probably thinking this is a good time. This is a good thing, yeah. <laughs> this is a I lot would of go fun. to this party. <laughs> right. I would go to this party. Well, that's great. Well, I mean, I, I just want to say thank you for having the courage to come here today and talk about it. And for our listeners, if you want to go back into the podcast description where you found the podcast, we'll put all the links to find all the projects you're working with and ones that you support because we want to make sure that we highlight that and shine a light on those things also. And if I can share one thing, we, you know, it's important to us that, um, you know, we want to support community organizations that are educating young people and peer-to-peer groups for college and high school students. So, you know, our familiarity and um, we're, you know, looking to bring her into some schools is an organization, Birdie Light, but we are de- we are looking for ways to give back. So right. as your listeners are listening, you know, there's a link to reach us and reach out because if there's students that want to put programs together, we want to be there to support those programs. Right. And I, I have a feeling this is not the last time we're going to speak about this stuff too. So if there's something we can do um, here at Rock Recovery and Recovery Talks, the podcast, um, make sure you reach out to us. We want to do that. We appreciate so, that. You we're bet. Really, yeah. thank you for having us. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And I just want to say before we leave that um, I'm standing in front of these two folks and I can tell a sense that it takes, like I said before, enormous endurance and courage to be able to do what you do every day. You know, sometimes what I can tell you of what I've learned, and especially in the recovery community and with trauma, sometimes it just takes getting through a bunch of crappy days, you know? And then all of a sudden, you turn around, you look, and you see, there was some good stuff there. We got Mm -hmm. some stuff done. And I think that's really, more than anything, what I sense and work in the communities is just a bunch of crappy days and all of a sudden you turn around and go wait a minute there's some magic there something good happened so hang in there and stay thank standing you. and to all our listeners i just want to thank you all for listening to this episode of recovery talks the podcast um if you liked it you can find more of them at recoverytalks.org and um, rest of the season is also there and so until then until the next time we get to see each other hear from each other let's everybody please remember to stay connected Stay standing and steady on. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.